Hello everybody and welcome to the NC Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host and founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. If you haven't been to my website yet, why not? You need to head on over there ncrealestate.co.uk and there is a free master spreadsheet that will pop up the minute you hit my website so go download it you are going to need it because it's the best way to run your property portfolio go get it i'll put the link in the show notes below okay i'm really excited today i have another awesome guest on the podcast welcome faith Locken. hey Hey! Faith is a property investor, commercial surveyor, and she has over eight years experience in the property industry, including roles in estate agency, valuation, investment, and development. She bought her first investment property age 24 and has continued to invest and develop property over the past three years. She documents her property journey through her YouTube channel, The Property Hustle. I'm gonna put a link to that so you go follow it. And she teaches others how to achieve financial freedom through property investment with her comprehensive mentorship program. I noticed Faith because of her fabulous Instagram post, but oh my gosh, you guys, if you've not had another commercial surveyor on this podcast, but you've not heard us interact, we are gonna have the best conversation today. Faith, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so excited to delve into our conversation today. So firstly, what inspired you to become a surveyor and how did you know to become one? Okay, so I've always been interested in property. I used to watch a lot of property shows growing up, as cliche as it might sound, you know, Homes of the Hammer, Location, 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 you know, all of those kind of shows. Um, But I didn't know that it was something you could go into really until I got to university and I still had that same passion. Um, I'd go to like auctions for the fun of it and stuff. And I had a friend of mine that said to me, look, you love property so much. Why don't you go into it as a career? And I thought, okay, light bulb moment. Um, And I literally Googled careers in property. um, And that's how I came across commercial surveying. Um, And at the time, the only company that I knew that did commercial surveying or property was Savills um so I googled Savills um saw that they had a summer internship coming up the following year and so I thought okay I need to get real estate experience so I drafted I I was meant to be revising but I pushed my revision books aside I was doing languages by the way so completely not property related (laughs) at all um and I drafted a, uh, a CV and a covering letter and I sent it to all the local estate agents in Nottingham um I was at Nottingham University um and I think I sent about 30 emails and one property company came back to me it was a small independent real estate um estate agent and they were happy to have me and I, I moved my university schedule around so I could have Tuesdays off um, and I went and I, I worked for free, essentially, in their in their sales department, which they just started up because um, they were originally doing lettings. Um, so that was like my first experience in the real estate world. I then interned for a startup service office company. I then went on to do the Savills internship for two months in their commercial development team. I later interned at an architectural firm when I was living out in China, for six, um, uh, when I was living out in China. And then I came back, I did all the kind of graduate schemes, uh, graduate recruitment, um, what's it called, assessment centres and stuff. Um, And that's kind of how I winded up at JLL, where I am now. Oh, amazing. 
Well, you, so you were at Nottingham University doing languages? Yes, yeah. Spanish and Mandarin. Oh, and that's why you were in China? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. like, and what then... a jump! <laughs> uh, it was a huge jump, yeah. Um, but also not so huge in my head, because I was like, this is, this is where, like, this was always what I wanted to do, um, getting into property. And I had actually wanted to go down the residential route, mm-hmm. um, but I had... Um, a mentor of mine at the time advised that I go down the commercial pathway um, because then that keeps my options open if I, if I did want to specialise in resi. But I've actually ended up staying in commercial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't you find when you get a chapter commercial portfolio, there's, there's usually resi above somewhere? Yeah. I mean, where I'm based, so I work in our city office, mm-hmm. so um, around sort of bank stations. So anything in the kind of square mile is our patch and a lot of it it's all offices unfortunately okay. <laughs> um, the majority are all offices um but I mean I guess that's why I started investing um personally because I still had that um passion for residential property um so I've been able to kind of uh do both mm-hmm. essentially yeah mm-hmm. so that's is that why you decided to invest in property or it's just been something you wanted to do always it, I've always wanted to do it um and I remember when I joined I think the first month or two of being at JLL as much as I was enjoying being at JLL I was like I need to be doing it I can't just be advising I want to be hands-on and do it myself and that's kind of when I started looking um and at the time I was 23 turning 24 um so I had quite a lot of stuff against me in terms of mortgageability I was like I was under 25 you know, didn't ha- already own a property and I was trying to get my first investment property. So the broker looked at me like, you're a bit weird. Like everyone, <laughs> everyone else your age is trying to buy a house to live in. Like, and you're trying to buy to invest. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to invest. Um, because the end goal was always to develop. So I kind of wanted just to get my feet wet, start with um, buy to lets and then sort of build up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I also, and we had this conversation just before, noticed you're a valuer, which for me, I, I tell everybody all the time, I'm not a valuation surveyor. I'm not good at Paris tables. Don't get me near Paris tables. I've never used those since uni. I swear we only use them in uni. Okay, so I've been told a lie that all valuers <laughs> know how to use Paris tables. No, I do not know. No, and I think the only well, maybe some of the older um the older valuers, you know, the ones that have been in the game for like 30 plus years, those guys I've I've got when I was in valuation, um I had one of my directors who always carried a, a copy with him and I was just like oh god he was like fountain of all knowledge but for me I've just you know use Argus Valcap okay. yeah circle some people call it and yeah I just kind of plug it in and we use a lot of financial models as well so once you understand the concept um or you know around valuation it's not that hard I don't think okay so um, the, as far as I go valuation is I can capitalize on rent and all yes all risk yield that's me so you tell me how you like how did why valuations how did you get to level three what blows my mind um well at JLL it's it's kind of compulsory for everyone to take vows to level three um and so I was in I was in our residential valuation team for a year mm-hmm. um and so we were doing it was actually high-end stuff so we did um so I'd value anything from like a Mayfair flat but all the way out to like 
um, new build developments out in Hackney Wick. So it was literally really, really broad. Um, and that's kind of where I fell in love with developments because I loved development appraisals more than just your regular um, property, like single property valuation. Um, and then I also spent time in our commercial valuation team. So I did office, retail and industrial valuation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it depends like on if depending on the asset that you're valuing, you, you obviously approach it slightly differently um, and depends on the purpose of the valuation as well, whether it's for loan securities like bank lending. Um, you've got to be a lot more stringent. There's got to be a lot more due diligence. Um, but the type of valuation that I do in my day to day job is is valuing essentially a property for purchase or for okay. sale um which is slightly different depending on who, who your client is if your client's the seller you obviously want to try and value it and get them the best possible price to go out to market with um if you're the buyer um your client will have certain return requirements they want to hit so you'll be looking at deals that are either on or off market and putting them into models trying to hit specific um, internal uh, rate of returns for your client um so that I think is a bit more interesting it's a bit more um mm. yeah you've got, got to get a bit creative as well and you've got to think about what's your client's re- return requirement what properties are out there that you think could meet that um so yeah that's kind of the evaluation I do on a day-to-day basis and what's your job title uh I'm a essentially a an investment surveyor so okay. I buy and sell office buildings <laughs> okay no it's interesting yeah. because I have an, also a lot of my students listen to this podcast who are, mm. will be coming out of university and thinking you know what do different surveyors do what's successful mm-hmm. for me so knowing job titles is really important so you know where you're falling into because yeah I don't know about you but when I started in the, in the industry I had no understanding of what job titles meant absolutely not like that's why it's so good to do rotations because you just don't know what you're going to fall in love with. And I think coming out of uni and going into property, I hadn't even done a property degree. I had to do, I did a part-time master's whilst doing my Which ABC. Which university? Um, that was with U, UE, University okay, of Western yes. England. Yeah. Um, and having gone through the different roles, I think everyone, everyone always wants to end up in capital markets. It's like the kind of glamorous um seat to be in isn't it like everyone wants to do investment because you know you're you're making lots of money essentially like if you can sell a hundred million pound office building then you get I don't know 1.75 percent of that you know people like that idea they like that but I think sometimes you'll come in you'll think you want to be an investment surveyor and then you end up in rating and you might love rating yeah. you know it's just you just don't know like I've personally I've never done rating but you might like debt advisory you might want to be a valuer like I'd say like um valuation is probably the 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 least desired role mm-hmm. to be in but actually when you look at the life of a valuer no disrespect to any values but it's actually really like it's really steady it's a steady market um I, I mean at the moment with the pandemic not so much but for the most part, you can almost know exactly how your day is going to go or your, you know, because we work in quarters. So you can almost mm-hmm. know, like, you're always going to have a steady stream of income, more or less. Whereas with, as in your inv- when you're an investment surveyor, the good times are really good and then the bad times are really bad. Like, you know, you could sp- take, the, you could spend the whole year without buying or selling anything. Um, but that's just what you get um, when you do go down that route. So if, for anyone that's listening that's coming out of uni or just starting their sort of um, 
career in surveying um think about the future and think about how you what kind of life you want to to lead um because usually there are certain roles where you can be a bit more flexible with your with your time you can at some point later down the line particularly as a woman I had a mentor when I was doing all of my graduate interviews I had a mentor who said to me make sure you ask them what their um maternity uh what did what did he say he said make sure you ask them what their maternity like um oh what's it called what's the word called like leave yeah like their maternity yeah what what their maternity leave is like and here's me like 22 I'm like (laughs) why would I care about maternity but actually now like as I get older I'm like actually he was so right because the company that you choose to you know go into a full-time job with they're probably going to be the company that you you know start a family with and you've got we want to know that you can be flexible or they can Mm -hmm. be flexible and allow you to to have a personal life outside of work so yeah just think carefully about the roles you want to go into mm-hmm. that's a really good advice <laughs> especially if you're not the sort of person who wants to be working 12 to 15 hour days which I know some surveyors oh do yeah so I get to, on a typical day I get in at about 8 a.m mm-hmm. um, if I've got a lot of work and I'll get in for like 7 30 and then I probably don't leave till like the earliest I'll leave is six and that and that's still considered quite early um, you know the ju- the more junior members in the team will end up staying till like eight and sometimes I get like emails at 10 o'clock from my boss being like oh did you do this did you do that so it's a very it can be harrowing you've got to be a certain type of character to kind of um, stick at it if you're going down the capital markets route mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay that's a good tip of advice it's very rare that we see surveyors talking about that and so <laughs> I wouldn't have been good in capital markets that's for sure <laughs> it's it's fun it's fun like when it's good it's really good like last year I think my most exciting project ever I sold um I say well we uh sold Blackfriars Crown Court that was really cool that was so cool like we got to go in the cells and I was like (laughs) it was such a cool property to sell um but yeah that was that was awesome I loved that phenomenal oh my god and it's nice isn't it when you go in an intriguing building and you think oh my gosh how this is somewhere I wouldn't normally be. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I got to know all of the staff because I did like a thousand inspections. Like that was a really popular building. We got like almost like 17 bids in the end. Um, it was really, yeah, it was really exciting. Cool. Mm. So how have you seen the commercial property industry change? Firstly, over the last couple of years, but how do you see it going after COVID? What's your viewpoint on this? Um, I'd say that in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of, I think there's just been a lot of disruption in the property industry, whether it's coming from prop tech or from flex space. People are just, in terms of like offices, because that's the market that I'm in, um, people want to work more flexibly, you know, and that's why we saw such a, um, such an increase in serviced offices but I think going forward with with having gone through this pandemic I think there's going to be a lot of companies reassessing their need for, for office space really because they've now seen that the majority of their employees can work from home and business can still run so they might think oh maybe we don't need that 10,000 square foot office <laughs> in the city that we're paying you know ridiculous amounts of rent on um, and I think people want to um, work probably even closer to home as well so mm. I think we're going to see a lot more serviced offices um, 
being provided but much closer to, to home rather than because I think at the moment most service officers are kind of in your kind of Shoreditch, Clerkenwell areas, you kind of cool hit up and coming places. But I think we're going to see officers coming closer to home. So, I mean, I'm based in Hernhill. I wouldn't be surprised if a little pop-up office, you know, popped up in Hernhill, like town centre. Or you just bite yourself and you open it up. Oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> that is a good idea, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> We can see what you're doing next. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I think things are going to change, but it's good, right? Do you not think it's mm, for the better? No, I think I think it's good. I think it's good. And I think uh, the more, as upsetting as it might be, that you know some businesses will have to close because of the result of the pandemic, I think it's good that there'll be opportunities now to for more conversions for more you know commercial to residential conversions and to provide much needed housing do you think that councils and this is us speculating again i said to everybody (laughs) we would love crystal balls on this podcast we don't but i love a good like what if do you think councils will start changing their permitted development rights i think so i was on a webinar a couple days ago actually um was it no it was yesterday oh god the days are running into into one um i was on the call yesterday about the future of retail and specifically high street um uh retail stores and particularly like secondary and tertiary retail parades um and i'm actually looking at a deal at the moment down in south croydon which is on a on a i'd say it's a secondary retail parade and they've already the two two doors down the property two doors down um already got permission to convert and and has been converted to flats on the on the ground level so i think councils are being open to it like if they need housing and you know retail is just not really Mm -hmm. um doing well as a market at the moment you might as well relax your pdr and allow for developers to come in and provide homes yeah i i agree or at least allowing businesses to have their space and be innovative with it yes you know have we put such mm-hmm. stringent use classes in our leases we're gonna yeah. have to as as commercial surveyors think okay is that actually fair for us to put a1 specifically for our hats that are only green yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was in the same call um it was discussed about um use class being a lot more flexible um, Mm. and allowing for like serviced retail. So, you know, landlords buy in a retail store, but then allowing for different retail type businesses to almost rent, you know, sublet space internally. Um, That just allows for it. I think that's just the way the market's going. I like that. I like that. People don't don't need, you know, a whole store for themselves these days. And being innovative. Yeah, And the fact that people should be able to come into shops and having ordered stuff online, try it in the shop, they either buy it or they don't buy it, but they yeah. still have that shopping experience. Yeah, so it's more like, rather than click and collect, click, try, try. and then collect, the, you know. <laughs> yeah, because I don't yeah. see how it's going to, the one thing that I can't see, and I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days, and this is just me like speculating, you know now you can't go into stores and try clothes on, have you, you can't. Well, have you heard that? Okay, so so I've I've been reading about this maybe from the American point of view how retailers are like click and collect, but you can't try on, so you can't return. 
I'm thinking, I don't think that can oh, happen. But because if you're at home and you get things sent to you, you're still going to try it on a yeah. So I'm, I'm, I wonder, this is, this is, I read that and I was like, hmm, doesn't work. You know what would be really cool? Yeah. If you could click something online that, like click to buy, and then walk into the store and um, the retail assistant will have, you know, your selection of clothes that you, you want to try, like, waiting for you on the rail. And you just go and you try on and then you're like, yeah, I'll take this, I'll take that, I'll take that. Yes. How cool would that be? Like a personal shopping assistant almost. Kind and then of. you can book your slot so you're not in a, yeah. in a tight confines with everybody else. And they can disappear. Oh, my God, it. that's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> we need to trademark this it. before this podcast yeah. goes out. By the time we finish this, we'll have like ten business ideas. Yeah. So if anybody's it. listening and wants this, do get in contact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're yep. here to help. Yeah. <laughs> so you just talked about the fact that you're looking at deals down in South Croydon. Is that your investment area? Anything sort of yeah. So south southeast London. So Croydon, Bromley, Deptford, Lewisham. Peckham maybe but I think Peckham's a bit pricey at the moment um but yeah anything that I can I'm looking specifically at commercial conversions Mm -hmm. um so yeah if anyone has a deal they can uh, put my way I'm always happy to pay sources Mm -hmm. okay remember (laughs) all face social media links are going below this podcast so if you've got something just get in contact (laughs) (laughs) so what's been so is that your strategy today um, so I started out um, with buy to lets um, in Nottingham, mainly because Nottingham is a lot cheaper <laughs> than London. Um, and I bought my two bed end terrace um, in Radford. It was the area where I lived in when I was studying in Nottingham. So I, I knew it quite well. Um, and I got that for, I think it was 69500 mm-hmm. um, And that was three years ago. And so that was just to kind of get onto the ladder. And then I had, um, I did some rent to rent. So I did kind of property, like basically managing property really. But um, so renting from landlords and then um, using it as service accommodation or changing it to HMOs. Um, and that was good for a while, but it was very management intensive. And I realized I'm like, I've got a full-time job here. I can't be doing management as well. Um, and so I ended up taking those to the end of the term, gave them back to the landlord. And then I thought, no, let me focus on development because that's always been my passion. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at today. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So how are you risk proofing since COVID? Like, what are you, are you doing anything differently? Um, to be honest, I'm actually, I'm probably more active now than I've ever been before. Um, mainly because I, I see that, you know, I think that once we come out of the back end of this, there'll be a lot of deals to be had in terms mm-hmm. of um, properties, like motivated sellers just wanting to get rid of their properties. Um, in terms of risk proofing, I, uh, what? Um, I think just being cautious about the, the properties that I buy, like I'm, I'm very... I say this to all my mentees, like you have to be sure about the numbers. You've got to stress test it. And because if, if I'm, if I'm, because I do a lot of buy, refurb, refinance deals, um, using investors' money and stuff. So I've got to be sure that 
I'm going to be able to recycle the cash out. Like I don't want to buy a property that is then not going to either sell. Um, and I think doing developments is a kind of way of risk proofing anyway, because, because developments take so much longer, like even getting through planning can sometimes take six months. Right. So you could spend your time getting a project through planning by the time you're, you've got planning permission, we hopefully might be on the other end of Mm -hmm. the whole pandemic Mm -hmm. and then you can get back into it and you can almost ride the, you know, ride it out. And and then by the time you're coming to sell your units, it'll be like a year or two down the line when hopefully the market is picked back up again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) What are the biggest teachable moments thus far you've had from the property industry and property investment? Um... Probably so last year, because of like, you know, when nobody knew whether we were going to Brexit or not, and it was just all a bit up in the air. So there was a lot of normally when we'd have like a a busy year of transactions, a lot of investors held back. Um, So what ended up happening was there weren't many people coming in for your classic kind of investment, but there was a lot of development activity and a lot of. investors looking for value add opportunities so that's kind of where the market picked up so it was interesting for me to see um the dynamic change um so that that was my uh, quite a big lesson that I learned in terms of being able to change with the mm-hmm. with the times and be able to offer clients different opportunities as and when needed um, and then in terms of property investing um I'd say biggest lesson learned it's not so much a lesson but it's like I think you have to be a people person to to be honest that's with property in general um but understanding and being empathetic with your tenants honestly it's you know you're going to get really difficult tenants and sometimes you'll wonder like why am I even doing this like is it even worth it but you've got to be able to like look past it and think about you know the long-term future so I'd say my biggest lesson in property investing is to not put too much emotion into it. Like when you're buying a property or doing it up for investment purposes, do what you need to do to make it lettable and make it livable, but don't go over the top and don't treat it like it's the home you're going to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you will end up going over budget and that is not good. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. I, I agree with you. So why do you think more surveyors don't transfer? transition into property investors I've always found this really interesting because a lot of surveyors I know some of some of them do but a lot of surveyors don't invest in property but they handle property day in day out this is a question I've asked myself constantly as well um I I think I kind of liken it to you know there's a that that um saying that accountants are really good with other people's money but not with their own Mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing a little bit with surveyors like you know you learn how to advise and you can advise you know to till the cows come home but sometimes taking that risk and I think taking the leap and the risk to invest your own money because when it's someone else's money maybe it's like oh you know you don't yeah. don't feel so bad like you're like okay it's not my money but when it is your own money and your neck on the line it can be quite um nerve-wracking Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there are some of us like yourself and me who kind of thrive off of that a little bit and like that and like problem solving and getting stuck in and, you know, being entrepreneurial in that way. So, yeah, I think 
if if more surveyors were um, had a better risk appetite, maybe there would be more investors. I think potentially, actually, you raise a really good point. Mm. Maybe it's because we're always advising people on risk that, that we then see too much of the risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you've worked through it enough property cycles, you're like, yeah, I could buy now, but then what in eight, eight, eight years or 16 years, like when the market turns, what am I going to do then? Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you think do you think surveyors would make good investors? Yes, I think so. I, I I don't know, it was one of my clients actually who was the first person to say go buy something. Natasha, just go buy something, do it for yourself. Oh, yeah. And then the director of my firm at the time was like he wasn't a surveyor, but he mm. encouraged all of us in the firm to become surveyors. And he said to me, I'm not paying you a pension, but I'll give you a big enough bonus so you can go and buy a couple of properties. Oh, you see? Oh, that's amazing. So, so that was where and- I learned about it from. But a lot of surveyors that I talked to didn't I don't do think- it. No, no. I think, I don't know. So maybe, because I live in London, but I started investing in Nottingham. So maybe some of the surveyors that, at least in my circles, just think, well, I can't afford London, so I'm not going to invest. But if you kind of look outside of London, there are a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I really do agree. It's weird, isn't it? Strange. Yeah. Um, I had a question for you, okay. if you don't mind. Do you believe in... Um, so I, I rent where I live and I, I own where I invest. Do you believe it? Like, is that because I, I the first property I bought was an investment property as opposed to the property I was in. Yeah, okay, you too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you see that? I don't know. Our mindset is just different, isn't it? Yeah, I. The minute my client said to me, "You need to go out and invest in something," I was like, "Right, I need to go and find an investment property." And yeah. <laughs> like, just literally just looking around for something that I can invest in. I was so young at the time as well. I was so mm. naive about it. That has like, yeah, sure, this is just what normal people do. Yeah. But I guess being a property manager, I was working with clients who did it, so it was normal. Yeah. And I think also when you are young, you're less, you're just more courageous. So that could be a reason why some surveyors don't invest. Because once you get past a certain age, you start, you know, once you have to start having kids and you've got a family that depends on you, you might be like, oh, I don't know if I want to risk going into property investing. yeah I don't and also I don't know about you but I didn't need to live in the property that I bought first either I wasn't that interested in doing it no I I for me I was just like I need to own something so I can get development finance that was literally (laughs) one thought process literally I was like I want to be a developer so I need to own property okay buying a buy to let let's go for it and that was it hmm I think yeah, I was just I just wanted to add income to my also my dad had always said to me, You're never you're never getting a pension, ever. Like by the time you get to a certain age, you're never getting a pension. And actually that was true, because you know you get the state pension. I don't know about yeah. you, but I added up my state pension. And what's and it gonna be? Like it, not much. It was gonna be like fifty three thousand pounds. Like, oh yeah, great. That to get... live on. And because we're all living longer as well. <laughs> this is the thing. Give like one year. You have to have, especially if you build up a lifestyle for yourself, like mm-hmm. you've got to have 
additional income streams like whether it's property or something else just got to have it we're all living so much longer like and if we retire at you know mid 60s and we live till like 90 and you're only getting 53 grand to spread over (laughs) it just doesn't make sense like people need (laughs) to invest You'd probably, I'd probably get something else, but I can't rely on it. It's just, it scared, it scared the day, living daylights out of me. You can't rely on it, Not honestly. for me. Not for no. me. <laughs> but do you know what, as well? I, I also know wholeheartedly that my investments could absolutely lose all of their value. Or yeah. I could make a mistake along the way. Or I'm also okay with that. There's, yeah. there's, there's been nothing in me that's gone, oh my God, I couldn't do it again. If I, I'm like, I did it once yeah I'm building it you know exactly you you have to be confident in it and you I always say only invest what you can afford to lose um so yeah you could you could lose your house it's a real possibility if interest rates soar and you can't pay your mortgage it can happen but you have to weigh up the the risk reward Mm -hmm. opportunity Mm -hmm. yeah interesting isn't it (laughs) yeah so there's highs and lows in property. What has been your biggest high and what has been your biggest low? Oh, my biggest high was selling Blackfriars Town Court <laughs> last year. Definitely. Oh my god! And we sold it for like thirty million more than we thought than we um, thought it was worth. Actually, so <laughs> that was a, that was a real good success because we had it tied to um, we had like a we had like a set price that we wanted to get for our client and then anything above that we we got um, a bit more so that was good can can we touch on that a second just yeah. because I think there is such a teachable moment in this for anybody who's listening and is yeah. going oh my god who's buying something over like 30 million pounds over something that's been valued 30 million pounds less every investor has a different investment appetite so what's right for them isn't right for you yeah yeah and this was this was a development play as well so it was very much about what the developer thought they could build on it so it was what what it was worth to them so we had we had offers come in ranging from like 20 all the way up to 60 million so it was just about um figuring out and assessing those offers because some people were just like coming in with like ridiculous high offers but they hadn't actually done the due diligence they couldn't show us okay what scheme are you going to build that makes it worth that much um and then the scheme that we're going to build wouldn't be viable anyway so we wouldn't go with them because their offer wouldn't be solid kind of thing so yeah it, it it's all about what it's worth to the investor or the developer for sure oh my gosh thank you for sharing that because <laughs> that's something that I can talk about until the cows come home but that's a that's an example right there of what is right for you and so Faith what you buy is not probably what I would buy and vice versa Mm -hmm. but it's a good investment for you or it's a good investment for me and that's why sometimes when investors discount properties they're like well no one else has bought it why should I buy it don't look at it like that it just means that the right investor hasn't come along exactly and um likewise if you find a property and you're assessing a property that you probably wouldn't buy you could always package that and sell that opportunity on to another investor who might see it in a different way or use it differently and would buy it up so yeah there's there's always a way around things you can just think creatively you'll mm-hmm. get there mm-hmm. and so what's been your lowest low um is it really a low so okay so when I bought my property 
Um, the when I had the gas um, safety um, certificate done, the the gas guy basically said to me, "The the, the back boiler is going to go in like two years time," and almost to exact to the date it went. And I remember getting because my I think my main concern um, with having the property and because I self manage and I'm based here in London, the property's all the way in Nottingham. Um, my biggest concern or worry was something's gonna ha- something major is gonna happen and I'm not gonna be there and I'm not gonna know what to do. Um, but I remember getting the message and it was my tenant saying, "There's like smoke coming out of the the chimney breast," and I was like, "Oh god, here we go." Um, but because I I like planned for it, I'd already put money aside, mm-hmm. so I just called my gas guy and I was like, "Look, the boiler's gone, like you said it would. How much is it gonna cost me?" Um, and then he said, "4k and I'm four grand." And that was essentially two thirds of my rent income for that property for the whole year. So I was like, oh, like that, that was a big hit. That was a very big hit. But you have to pay. You can't leave your tenants without um, hot water or heating or anything. Um, so I, I paid it. Um, but yeah, it was it was a pretty low moment because I was like, oh, that's all my rental income gone. <laughs> oh, it happens from time to time. It does. It does. But now I've got a really new bo- a new boiler in there that's going to last for you know yeah. 10 plus years so oh yeah the next cycle around your maintenance <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> what keeps you motivated even on tough days so my the my reason why is um the reason why I got into property is to develop back home in Uganda so I'm originally from Uganda um and the area where I'm from Uganda is in the north and it's an area that is very much still still kind of suffering from um, the the effects of the civil war um, that was there back in the sort of 70s, 80s. Um, There's still a lot of displaced children. Um, There's just a lot that needs to be done. And I've always wanted, for as long as I can remember, I wanted to go back and build schools, build orphanages, build infrastructure and impact in a a big way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me so encouraged and 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 raring to go and I I was in Uganda back in February this year kind of um almost doing a recce and figuring out because I literally know no one there in terms of property so I'm trying to build up a bit of an understanding of how land works there because like here we have freehold and leasehold and those like the two titles that you'll come across but in Uganda you've got you've got freehold but then you've got um you've got kingdoms and um, there's certain land that if you want to do anything or build anything on that land, you have to seek the permission from not the local planning authority, but from the the kind of the chiefs or the elders like of that particular kingdom. So like really weird stuff like that, that I've, I've, I know nothing about. So I've got to kind of go and understand it before I just go over there and start buying and building and things like that. So, yeah, that's what keeps me going. Wow. Oh, my God, that's phenomenal. <laughs> And amazing that then you're going to be able to do that over different countries. Like, incredible. Mm. Yeah. So finally, what tips can you give to other investors who are to try and thrive after COVID? Um, be looking now. Start searching now. If you're if you're starting out, this or if you haven't yet started, this is the perfect time to do your research to figure out what your gold mine area would be. Where do you want to invest? Is it near, will it be near you? Will it be far away? Connect with people, start networking now. There's loads of virtual networking um, meetings happening 
all around property you know join nc real estate like you get involved like there are people talking about property all the time so i think now's the time to really just almost build up your arsenal of tools that can then when you come out the other end you can really just go forward and, and start thriving um and for those who are already investing and i'm sure they're probably already doing this but just make sure you diversify um your portfolio so if you've always been in buy to let maybe consider um looking at you know development maybe <laughs> or a different route or maybe a, a more cash flow type strategy service accommodation you know try something different um and just so that you have you can weather the storm a little bit if something like this was ever to happen again mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hey, thank you so much for coming on my thank podcast you, today Natasha. this has been a fabulous fabulous conversation it really has and for those of you who are listening thank you for sticking with us through this podcast we appreciate it if you've liked this podcast please don't forget to rate review it helps so many more people find the goodness from this podcast thank you for listening this week i cannot wait to catch up with you again soon